Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, good morning, welcome to the show. Damn start to the day here, Monday, December the 4th in TW11. Lots to get through, including the best of the action from the weekend. Jack Kennedy and Gordon Elliott, brilliant. Uh, Fairy House, uh, Gavin Sheehan and Niall Hoolan, brilliant rides at Newbury over the weekend. And well done to Jamie Snowden, the trainer of That's All Right Gino, hero of the Coral Gold Cup of 2023. How many marks out of 10 would we give the novice chasers, MS Allen? And Corbett's cross. And how many marks out of 10 would you give Frankie de Torre's now ended run in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here? We'll be hearing from the Mirror's showbiz editor later on on why he was the first one out of the jungle. But first of all, the news you've been waiting for will Constitution Hill run in the rerouted fighting fifth hurdle at Sandown Park on Saturday? His trainer, Nikki Henderson, is with me now. Um, Nikki, what are we saying? Well, there you go. If I knew what I was thinking and if I knew what I was doing, it would be a yes or a no. So it's a sort of, I think I've got to call it a maybe. All right. But, but I, I know Michael was, has always been quite keen to go. And I, I wouldn't say that some of my other team would agree with that too. Um, I... A tad nervous about the timing of it, but look, he's, at the moment he's more likely to run than he was yesterday. <laughs> okay. Well, that that's good news. What have you What have you got to see over the next couple of days, either in I him or? Give him a spin tomorrow, and I mean that's all. I mean you can't do much more. Yeah, you know, he was all prepared. He did have spent a two days on the road over the weekend, but that wouldn't worry him. Um, he had two good counters this morning because he hadn't been out. He, he counted yesterday because they, you know they, they didn't get home till um, till um, till Saturday, uh, Friday night. They had their away in the manger. Okay. Um, and so they got back on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I, there was quite a funny piece. I, Lydia and I were talking about it on the show the other day. That I can't, I can't remember who it was now. Who said they hoped that Shishkin hadn't radicalised Constitution Hill on, on their away trip to to Doncaster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't you worry, Shishkin is going to run as well. Is it now? Is he so? Are you going to do this and run him in the in the rerouted fighting fifth, or are you going to go to the Peterborough? What are you going to do with him? Uh, the fighting fifth. Okay, I'd run them both. Right. It doesn't matter running Shishkin against Constitution Hill. 
Well, we like that. We'd have laid big odds about it at the beginning of the season, but we like the idea of it. Um, who would ride Shishkin then if Nico is obviously going to ride Constitution Hill? Um, I've absolutely no idea. I haven't got that race because it was only two minutes ago that I decided to put Constitution Hill in the race. Okay. So um, I haven't, I've had two minutes to put it in and then ring you. Okay, did you... Important person. Well, I, in, impertinent. I, th- I think I use. I think I, th- I think I heard that as impertinent, but it might have been important. I'm not sure. It was not. <laughs> um, no. Did are you going to take the cheek pieces off, Shishkin? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he can he can see he can see what's going on behind him. And has he been in reason reasonable behaviour since he's been home? Yeah, yeah, it's just been perfect. Yeah. Okay. So uh, um, that that that's that's two of the the big guns, and of course. No, no one's even talking about John Bond, who's threes on for the Tingle Creek. Is he in good order? <laughs> excellent order. Good. Okay. Well, that's that, excellent shape indeed. I think we know all we need to know. So I appreciate okay. it, and I will see you later. Thanks so much. See you later. Okay. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. All right. That's Nicky Henderson. This is Jane Mangan, RTE and RTV broadcaster. Uh, Jane, what do you think of that? But did I get a suspicion that that his owner, Michael Buckley, requested or asked or suggested that Sandown would be an option had the race been moved to that location? Yeah, I think he he came on this podcast last week and he he fancied the idea, I think, of uh, of going to Sandown. I don't think he wanted it to go elsewhere because I don't think he wanted to, to get Nico de Boinville to get off John Bon in the Tingle Creek. So I think he was trying to be kind to his rider and thinking they might kill two birds with one stone. So I think I think he was quite keen. I think if there has been a secret to the to their enduring relationship over the guts of five decades it's that michael has lots of ideas um he has some flights of fancy but ultimately it's always henderson that makes the call he's the boss so anyway we're gonna have to wait a little while uh, and the possibility of shishkin running in the in the fighting fifth well i guess you've just got to get him to start some sort of a race haven't you yeah, you've just got to get him out and uh, get him to oblige for you, whatever the race may be. Um, a small field, I'm not sure. That's I, I just love to see him amongst horses and, and get him moving down at the start. It'll be very difficult for whoever, uh, I suppose Nico will be on him, but um, until he starts, it doesn't matter what race he's in because he mightn't take part in it. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about the Tingle Creek as well because John Bon is 3-1 to one on at the moment to win that. He's going to have some interesting opponents in this race for sure. And we can hear from a couple of trainers who'll be represented this weekend. I'll start with Harry Fry, uh, who has got his progressive handicap of Boot Hill engaged in the Tingle Creek. And I began by by asking him whether it was the intention to have a crack. Yeah, I think at this stage, um, we're very much leaning towards doing that. Uh, he's bounced out of Ascot and the immediate thoughts were we were going to wait for the Clarence House, who feel like a home match back around Ascot. But, uh, I mean, that's another six weeks away on Saturday and we just felt, well, uh, the form he's come out of the race, that um, why not? Let's have a look and, and uh, see how he gets on. Uh, and he's a horse that you've always held in massively high regard. Always thought that he had a lot of speed, which he seems to really be showing now as well. I mean, since you've yeah. since you've got him back to to this sort of distance, he's not really looked back, has he? No, exactly. I mean, last year he, he progressed uh, from sort of handicaps into graded novices, and uh, we sort of tried him up in trip as well at the end of last season. That just in the, in the um, 
Pendle at, at Kempton and, and that really confirmed in our mind that this season, yeah, two miles is his trip and a, and a strongly run two miles and interestingly, Johnny felt the last day at Ascot, they, they just didn't go fast enough for him, so uh, be really exciting to see him taking on some obviously the best two mile chasers in, in training and obviously it's a big step up again from what, what he's been doing but uh, just the way the races should be run, it should really suit his running style. Alright, I heard um, Noel Feely who's uh, syndicate owns Love Envoy. It, quite excited about the possibility of the Fighting Fifth being rooted to, rerouted to Sandown. But she's got form at Sandown. Are you as excited as him? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm. Uh, I'm sort of. <laughs> and obviously disappointing for for Newcastle, uh, but from our point of view, uh, an extra week was, was a positive. And um, uh, with she's three from three at Sandown, so. Uh, Obviously, it's a track she she knows well. She's done well at. So um, we'll obviously wait to see who who is is entered. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're all systems go and looking forward to to getting her season underway for sure. Superb, Harry. Thanks so much for your time. No problem. Thanks, Nick. And you never ignore Gary Moore when it comes to this fixture either. He's got such a great record in the Tingle Creek and the surrounding races. Now, at the moment, Gary, you are multiply entered. What are you thinking of doing in the Tingle Creek? Editor de G, Haddock's Des Obo, neither both? No, they, they, they were both, uh, they've both been confirmed. Um, probably if, if the ground's going to be very soft, which I couldn't envisage it being, then... Um, Edison's wouldn't run, and Haddock Stezobo definitely would run. Mm-hmm. And Haddock did everything brilliantly at Cheltenham and just had that. Well, how would you describe his, his late departure? Um, unlucky, uh, getting tired? How did you read it? Just a tired for and couldn't find the leg quick enough. It, it, it rained previously before the, uh, the race, and it just made it a bit slippery. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's not. Um, he's not. He's a brilliant jumper, and it's just unlucky, you know. But it was, I think it was probably a, a tired fall. It was quite a lot of big jumps all the way around there, and probably just got to the end of him. And we know that Editor's a bit of an overachiever, really. He's kind of come from from handicaps and done really, really well. I sense with this horse, Haddock's Des Oboe you think he could be quite special, like a, a real grade one horse? I, I do, I do, uh, especially in soft ground. Um, I, I couldn't believe how much he improved for going on soft ground last season. And, uh, you know, I was running him early in the season, trying to expect him to do things he, he couldn't do because the ground was just far too quick for him. When he gets on soft ground, he's a far better horse. And you re- reflecting on, on the performance of Hansard in the Jerry Field at, at the weekend, a, I thought it was a, a seriously good ride, but B, how high do you think the horse could fly through the season? Um, I think the, I don't know if it's the strongest Jerry Field has ever run. So, and also every, everything went very well throughout the race, you know. Uh, so it allowed him to perform at his best. Uh, he'd be another one who, who would get better with softer, hopefully he'd be better with softer ground. Okay. Uh, Where do you think we... Where do you think we might see him next? He goes straight to Ascot on the 23rd, I think it is, yeah. For that, for that very valuable race. And I will not let you go without asking how Jamie is getting on on his road to recovery. Yeah, he, 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 he's as good as he can be, you know. Like, um, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's wandering about the yard at the moment, just having a look around. And, you know, he's, he seems good. If he, didn't, if he didn't have a neck brace on, you wouldn't know anything wrong with him, to be honest with you. But... Um, he's got that on so it makes it pretty obvious 
All right, well, give him our best regards, Gary. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. Gary Moore there and before him, Harry Fry. And the nice thing is, Jane, that, you know, yes, we've got a three-zone favourite in this race, but it does look as though there are plenty of people willing to turn up and take him on with progressive younger horses, even if they've not reached the lofty heights of John Bond, even if they're never going to reach the lofty heights of John Bond. Yeah, that's fair. I I, I wonder, are we still probably going to have a, a field of four or five? Um Captain Guinness will probably travel. Um, he looked good at Navin last time, and I don't see why he'd go to the Hillyway Chase, a Grade Two take on El Fabiolo when they're dying to win a Grade One with this horse. He's he's won at plenty of graded races, but yet to to break the ceiling. But he's on the run last April against John Bon over course and distance. He's not going to beat him, is he? I think we'll get a field of at least five, and no complete no hopers either. So. I think we've got we've got a, a fair amount to look forward to, but this weekend just gone is going to take a bit of eclipsing. You've been at Fairy House, Jane. How have you enjoyed it? Fairy House was great. Yeah, w- went to the, the track yesterday for three Grade Ones. Um, three Grade Ones is a third of the number of Grade Ones run in France in, a, in a, an entire season. But we enjoyed what we had yesterday, and there was three beaten favourites. We start with the highlight, uh, Chupo and Imperial Pass. It looked like a match race beforehand. It looked like it was going to be very tactical. And I wouldn't get despondent about the favourite getting beaten. Um, Imperial Pass is a very different horse to Chupo. I think he's a horse that's going to go down and trip. He ran a bit fresh in Paul Tannen's hands, pulled a little bit too hard. And that wasn't uh, helped by the fact that Jack Kennedy got himself in a position behind Paul Tannen to just lean, not lean, but like just encourage Ampere Pass to get competitive at a very early part of this race. Chupo's a behind the bridle, real stare. Ground was tough. And I think everything suited that horse on the day. It, it, it was a little bit, again, a little bit annoying, but completely understandable that post-race, owner Brian Asherson and, and trainer um, Gordon Elliott said that this, is, this horse is going to go straight to Cheltenham, straight to the stairs. He runs best fresh. He won this race, of course, last year when he was a fresh horse, when he beat Honeysuckle in Classical Dream. Chupo's only six rising seven. He's rated 160. And yet we sent off a horse who was running in novices last year. Yes, he's got a big reputation. And yes, he comes from Clisutton. But we sent him off favourite. It was a little bit like watching Ion Maximus a half an hour beforehand, and we still didn't get the message. Yeah, I thought Ampere Pass ran really well. I, what was your read of his performance? Back to two miles, we see a better horse? Or just came up against a very tough opponent. I thought he got outstayed and he he pulled too hard. I'd say they were surprised he ran fresh and keen because he's a very, apparently a very lethargic horse at home, a very relaxed horse. So when Paul Townend jumped out without any cover, he probably thought he was going to settle and he didn't. So he was just probably a bit fresh. I think back to two miles, he'd be grand. Uh, I do think he'll we'll see him at Leopardstown doing that and we'll learn a little bit more about him but Chupo's a three-miler and arguably unlucky not to be last year's staying hurdle champion anyway so he was good the yard the jockey everything about them is on fire at the moment because on far and glory in the royal bond king of kingsfield sat last the entire way and yet jordan gainford found himself in front going down to the last and who was tracking him only his his companion Jack Kennedy. And uh, when when Jack was interviewed post-race, he said, were you worried that you wouldn't get to the leader after the last? And he said, no, I know him well. Uh, If if I wanted a horse in front of me, it would be him. 
it's just like all the pieces are aligning for Jack Kennedy at the moment. Well, Even though a mistake at the last Farron Glory probably won comfortably. He sure as hell deserves it. I mean, goodness knows he's been unlucky with injuries. I really hope this is his time. Uh, he's he's such a good rider. I was watching him on Tupo and I'm thinking, I oh, I don't know if anyone else could have could have could have won on him on 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 Sunday. I. Uh, yes, I know he outstayed the runner-up, but he just everything about it was so complete, and um, I, I do wonder to the extent to which Gordon Elliott is really, really benefiting from having a, a Kennedy firing on all cylinders. When you look at the numbers of, of of big race, big race winners, not just you know, we've always been numerically strong, but big race winners they've had Jane over the last three or four weekends. Absolutely. Look, Jack is, we all kind of take it for granted, a little bit like Harry Cobden in the UK, actually. Jack Kennedy is only 24 years old and Tupo was his 39th grade one winner. And after the first hurdle in the Hatton's Grace, you knew in your head, Jack Kennedy is following Paul Townend. Paul Townend is keen and Jack Kennedy is in pole position to just give him a little nudge along whenever he wants. So he's effectively driving the race and if you go back 12 months ago he did the exact same when he was following classical dream and honeysuckle in the same race so it's the little things we all get consumed by the last two furlongs the last driving finish the last jump but that race was effectively won and lost from the very first hurdle so yeah jack is is doing fantastic stuff so is gordon elliott he's had four to two winners uh last month jerry colomb of course would be the highlight of down royal winning the Troy Town at Cocoa Beach, winning the for auction with What's Up Darling, graded win with Ash Tree Meadow, pair grade once the weekend, and then throw in, okay, found a 50, got beaten. But he got beaten by a horse rated 158, an Irish Grand National winner in the Drinmore. Now, of course, I am Maximus is no longer a novice. He got in under that loophole. Uh, he's That was his last day as a novice. Found a 50 is the novice, only having a second run over fences, and he's running him to the line in the Drinmore. And Firefox took the scalp of Ballyburn in the maiden hurdle on Saturday. Another really exciting novice hurdler for the yard as well. So, look, we get consumed with Chris Sutton, and Willie Mullins is only warming up, and he had five winners at Turles last week, and it's all great. Gordon Elliott will keep him honest. What's been happening in the UK? Well, Gordon Elliott's been winning here as well. What who? Bargain by. Won the juvenile Phillies hurdle on Friday for for that man again, Jack Kennedy. And then Saturday, uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, Jamie Snowden had talked up a big run from Dats All Right Gino, and that's what he got. Horse won the Coral uh, Gold Cup, uh, beating Marla Mission, who I thought shaped with a lot of promise in second. But we're talking about good rides. It was another one here from Gavin Sheehan. Yeah, it was. It was a huge day for Gavin Sheehan. He's always been a good rider, a solid rider. But to come from last in a 20-runner field without leaving the paint of the railing on the inside, that takes some doing in a competitive handicap chase. And uh, having found himself a little bit further back than I'd say even he wanted to be, I was scratching my head halfway through thinking if this was going to come off. And having fancied Mahler mission, I thought John McConnell is going to be disgusted because... It was a combination of that's all right, Gino peaking on the day and a combination of a brilliant ride that foiled Mahler Mission's challenge because they were clear of the third Monbeg genius. And uh, yeah, for, for Jamie Snowden, I suppose nowadays we become accustomed to horses coming from the point to point field, essentially made, coming from France with form, essentially made. But credit to Jamie Snowden, who bought this horse at the Land Rover sale and he made him himself. Every one of these runs are for are for the Snowden Yard, for the same owner. And uh, I think that would be personally satisfying when you get a horse to win a race as prestigious as this. 
That's a very good point. I'd like to ask for your marks out of 10 for a couple of novice chase performances over the weekend. One from MS Allen, trained by Paul Nichols, written by Harry Cobden at Newbury on Friday. Marks out of 10? Nine out of 10, nothing not to like. Wow, yeah, I thought his jumping was very, very good late. And Corbett's Cross in the JP McManus Silks. Corbett's Cross, who was the horse who ducked out, you'll remember, at the back end of the Albert Bartlett last year at the final flight of hurdles. What did you make of his um, second run over fences at Ferry House? He was very good. Uh, I thought this was a masterclass. If anybody, if any young rider is listening to the podcast, watch that race and don't do what Paul Townend did. Imagine I'm saying don't do what the champion jockey did. But from three out, he was trying to get up the inside of Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy, Rachel Blackmore on his flank, Mark Walsh on his flank. Those three riders essentially knitted their needles together and did not leave an ounce of daylight for three fences, effectively half a mile at Fairy House. Nick Rocket never had, probably didn't have the engine to get out anyway, but he wasn't getting any daylight. I thought Corbett's Cross, I'm going to give him an eight out of 10. Thought he was good. Second run, he had the benefit of experience. Um, the 10 out of 10 for jumping for novice chasers so far this season, the only one I'll give is to Classical Dream, who I thought was smooth as silk at Thurst. So rather like Craig Revel Horwood in strictly Jane Miserly with the full marks for the, the novice chasers. And you'll see what I did there. On a reality TV theme, Frankie Dottori was the first man, uh, first person out of the jungle, out of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. I wonder why I've been asking the Mirrors showbiz editor, Mark Jeffries, who is a, a real expert on I'm a Celeb and spends every season down in Australia and, and joins us from the bush now. Mark, uh, what's happened to Frankie? Yeah, it was a little bit below par, to be honest with you, and a little bit disappointing. Um, he's obviously this huge name in racing, as we know. Um, and when we met him before he went into camp, he was talking about it being a great adventure. He seemed very excited and very excited to meet all the other people. But unfortunately, what really happened was he went in there and, and, and didn't seem to do very much. We didn't see very much of him at all. Um, to begin with, that can be quite normal because he went in as a, a late entry, and sometimes it takes a few days to to kind of warm up and get to meet everyone. But so as, as time went on, we saw less and less of him. And to be honest with you, the last sort of 40 hours, he's, he's almost sort of disappeared from the edit. So I did fear for him, um, which I wouldn't have, wouldn't have said at the, at the start of the show. I would have thought he, he would have been sort of one of the, one of the people to get near, near to the final. Um, so yes, yeah, a quite a disappointing performance. And obviously someone who's so used to winners um, when it comes to racing, but first out here sort of, you know, the, in some ways sort of the biggest loser. All right, so you are you are such an expert on this. You understand you know, what's in the edit, what's not in the edit. To what extent um, can production control somebody's trajectory in a competition like this? Well, yeah, that's a good point. That they can't fit everything in. Um, the show's on for around sixty or seventy-five minutes an evening. But generally speaking, if you are one of the entertainers in there, you are going to get some airtime. Or Conversely, if you're in some arguments or you're doing perhaps bad things or things that maybe the viewers aren't going to like, you'll also be appearing for that. So that I imagine what happened was Frankie just was neither of those things and was, was, was uh, you know, perhaps a little bit bland in the sense that he wasn't making uh, any huge, huge headway in there. Um, it, you also need to do trials, and he did do a couple of those. On, on, the, on the first night he was there, um, he was taking part in this trial and he was front and centre them for a little while. But a lot, after that, a lot of it is down to things like conversation um, and sort of how animated you are. You know, there's younger people in there who've done a lot of reality TV, like um, Sam from Made in Chelsea. He obviously knows how reality TV works. He's been singing, dancing, doing all sorts. So 
unsurprisingly, that gets you a lot of airtime. Whereas perhaps um, if, you know, Frankie's talking about some race he won 10 years ago or someone's asking something about racehorses, perhaps it, perhaps they would not deem that quite as interesting and, and it won't make the show. It's quite interesting, isn't it? That he's he's such an ebullient personality within the sport, but actually outside it, um, the the world of reality TV might perceive him as being a, a bit beige. Funnily enough, racing doesn't have a very good record in, in, in these events. And Richard Dunwoody was the first one voted off strictly a few years ago as well. Have we just basically got to suck it up, Mark, and realise that... You know, we're we're not that we're not as close to popular culture as most of the other people in that jungle or on that dance floor or in the Big Brother house or whatever else. Well, yeah, perhaps there's just not that much of a crossover between you know racing fans and people watching. I'm a celebrity, but I did, like I say, before he went in, I thought he would have a reasonable chance. Obviously, the program is on ITV. Lots of the racing we all watch is on ITV, so there's there should be some crossover there, or at least I thought there would be. I guess the only other problem is he went in there as a late entry alongside Tony Bellew, who's a boxer, so two sportsmen, and that might have split the vote a bit. I think what's happened is Tony's gone in there and been quite funny and taken the mick out of the host and deck quite a lot. So I wonder if when it came to people who like sportsmen in there, they've perhaps given the votes to Tony and not to Frankie, and he sort of paid the price for that. Uh, okay, so Tony's taking taking the sporting vote. And of course, it, it reminded me of the of the first great racing contestant on a, on a reality show, which was McCurick in in Big Brother all, all those years ago. He he was actually out quite early, wasn't he? But but the impact value meant that there was an awful lot written about him and he, he occupied a lot of a lot of column inches. You know, to what extent do you, do you have to really magnify or artificially magnify the personality that you've had in order to in order to make a, an impact in in your paper or anywhere else? Yeah, I mean that that comes down to that comes down to what we see a lot in terms of the the show itself and yeah, like you say, that is down to the personality. I suppose McCurick, who you're talking about, famously, like he was there in his, you know, showering or, or walking around in his wife fronts and things. And as an image, that was quite, that was quite something. That obviously created some some interest. Um, you know, so perhaps Frankie should have been in a pair of speedos walking around in there or something, and it might have had a similar kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think a lot of it also is, is the luck of the draw. Frankie did say before he went in, this is not a race. Not like a race where he knows when he's on a good horse. As long as he, you know, gets him out, he's he's going to win the race. With this, it's there's a lot of unknowns. He, the viewers can only see a certain amount of stuff, and he can't really control that. And he he was well aware that he couldn't necessarily control whether he won this one or not. Uh, but fair to say, he emerged at least with his dignity fairly well intact. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I think I think look, looking at the interview of Antidek at the end of the show, I think he was a little bit disappointed, which you naturally would be as a as someone who likes winning, but. He did nothing wrong in there, and yeah, um, I've spoken to him again today, and he he's got a week now on the Gold Coast with his wife, and it, uh, whilst the other people come out, and he's going to enjoy that, I think. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, we've been building towards the scepter sessions as the uh, jewel in the crown of the Tattersalls uh, breeding stock. A December sale for quite some weeks and months now. So here we finally are, a marketing director from Tats. Jimmy George is with me now. Right, Jimmy, when do the when do the fireworks start, or when do we hope the fireworks are going to start? Morning, Nick. Well, we're underway um, after a, a good solid December fall sale, which finished on Saturday evening. And uh, yeah, we've got a town full of eager buyers here in Newmarket uh, for the next four days of the Tassels December Mayor's sale. Two scepter sessions, one today starting sort of early evening and um, and then followed by the um, the second of the scepter sessions 
tomorrow evening. And uh, look, we've got some very, very exciting fillies and mares to um, yeah to, to to put before the put before the eager buying public. Um, Charlotte will be reporting from uh, Tattersalls today and we'll be playing that in tomorrow's podcast. Who is she likeliest to be talking about, do you think, when we have this conversation in 24 hours' time? So from the first part of the Scepter Sessions. Oh, the first part of the Scepter Sessions, we got some, we got some very nice, very nice fillies and mares. Look, I mean, there's a little, a little something for everybody. I mean, fillies in training to go on with. And, and mares and foals are some of the very best stallions out there. So it's it's always hard to pick on pick on individuals, and and, and sometimes a little unfair to do that. But um, you know we've got the the dam of a of a very smart uh, American Grade One winner called Rhea Moon. She's a mare called Callisto Star. She's carrying an own brother or sister to Rhea Moon, and uh, and the and the two year old out of the mare won the other day. So and a very current family. There's a filly in training called My Eyes Adore You, who won a listed race the other day as well. Look, there's a there's a real cross section to put before put before the buyers, and um, you know, and then we 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 build into tomorrow's um, set to session where we've got some outstanding Group One winning fillies and Group One mares, Group One winning mares in full to the, the very best stallions out there. So it's uh, look, there's a lot there's a lot going on in the next couple of days, and uh, exciting times. Uh, and we are looking forward to seeing all of them. We're looking forward to seeing Cache and we're looking forward to seeing Poptronic and we're looking forward to seeing Rogue Millennium and we're looking forward to seeing um, the dam of uh, Sunway and Sealyway, uh, who was a, a late entry to the sale. All of these could make a, an awful lot of money and I'm missing plenty out as well. Via Sistina, of course. Good, and we've got Via Sistina and Lezu and Prosperous Voyage as well to add to the cast of Group 1 winners. And uh, it really is it's, it's rare, I think, to have that many Group one winning fillies in training um, catalogued at the December sales in you know in one in one catalogue and equally we've got the outstanding race mare Tiona uh, won the Priva May Group one Priva May a couple of years ago she's coming she's only five years old she's in foal to Frankel carrying her first foal she's also out of a Group one winner so she's a very rare package as is as you say the aforementioned Kenzie who is the only dam of two Group one winners to be offered for sale anywhere at public auction in the world this year. So, yeah, there's there's plenty plenty of highlights to look forward to. All right, Jimmy George there, and before him, Mark Jeffries from the Daily Mirror. Um, Jane, any interest in I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here? I will be honest, I haven't seen an episode of it. I've been following Frankie's socials. Whoever's been running that has been doing a very good job. Uh, he was in a coffin with bugs and snakes at one stage. He had testicles in his mouth at another and uh, yeah, I'd say he's probably not too despondent getting voted out. And we will move on. Uh, the Scepter Sessions at Tattersalls, you'll take more of an interest in them. I will. Um, I'm Look, the, the Scepter session starts this evening, but it's tomorrow's that I'm really intrigued in. Cache is, I think, the first 1,000 guineas winner to be offered at this sale since 1988 uh, via Sistina. The five grand purchase that turned into a group one winner. Just a fantastic story from start to finish. Then Mark Chan's duo of Lazoo and Prosperous Voyage. Surely they're going to make a ton and uh, throw in Poptronic and Tiona. This is, look, we, we had vintage broodmare prospects um, and broodmares at Goffs last week. And the Scepter Sessions is always uh, fireworks central. Last year it was Saffron Beach and Alcohol Free. I wonder who will take the headlines this year. 
All right, well, as I told you last week, this podcast will be migrating to Hong Kong at the back end of the week for the Hong Kong International Race Day on Sunday. Um, Maddie Playle has led the advance party and is already in situ and joins me now from Hong Kong. Uh, Maddie, let's start with Highfield Princess, the, the high-profile British challenger, bidding to become the first ever um, foreign winner of the of the Hong Kong International Sprint and the first ever female to win it as well. I've, I was quite staggered by both of those um, uh, trends. Um, wh- how optimistic are you and how optimistic is everybody there that she can land a blow against the locals? Well, it's a funny one, isn't it, Nick? Because we've had some very good sprinters beaten in this race, the likes of Borderless Scott, Society Rock, Soul Power a couple of times, Baited Breath. Um, so we need to do better. Um, but, of course, Highfield Princess, we know her for being incredibly tough and talented and adaptable. Um, and I think that last trait is going to be key in hopefully seeing her run her race on Sunday. Um, the vibes seem very positive. Uh, they purposefully skipped the Breeders' Cup to come out here. Um, and although she's danced many dances uh, in the European season, there's no reason to think she won't thrive out here. She arrived uh, on Saturday, I believe, um, today, she was just in the quarantine area, so we didn't get to see her on track, unfortunately. Um, but I saw Sean Quinn caught up with him, and everyone in the team seems happy with how she's travelled over. She's put on plenty of weight. I think he said that she's nearly returned to the condition um, that she was in before she flew. And, um, yeah, we'll surely see her on track Um before Sunday. Jason Hart is flying over to ride her, um, so he'll have a taste on the turf course, I think, on Thursday or Friday. Um, but, yeah, it, it seems positive. Um, she's been such a fantastic mare to follow for the last couple of years. I think it's really great that she's out here and um, she's got lots in her favour on Sunday. So, fingers crossed, she can um, produce her best. Mm. What she, of course, needs is a, is a good draw and um, save ground, unlike Blue Point when he went to Hong Kong a few years ago in the, in the spring and and drew nine of nine of nine or whatever it was and went off at 27 to one. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Aidan O'Brien because he's got a, a squad that is not getting an awful lot of publicity, but one that includes a couple of quite big names. Could this be a crowning moment for Luxembourg in the Hong Kong Cup, do you think? It could be, couldn't it? This certainly looks his trip and his race. Um, he is a horse who I think some people see his vulnerabilities perhaps um but i do think the the fast ground here will suit him um there's probably going to be quite a decent pace on in the hong kong cup um but it's a very deep race i'd say that's a very strong race as you'd expect um and also i think that to be honest nick i think one of the most interesting horses he's brought over is cairo um who's going to run in the hong kong mile of course he's going to have the the local champ golden 60 to deal with um but this is a horse who was taken out to dubai he's always had a, a towering reputation only third when we last saw him but no doubt that would have been a prep for for better things and then you you look at aesop's fables who of course run so well out in the breeders cup um he's a sprinter who seems to be really strengthening and maturing and he looked well out on the track today and then warm heart who Actually, I've had earmarked for this meeting for quite a while due to her preference for decent ground. And again, the trip and the conditions out here in Hong Kong, I think they're really going to suit her. And they purposefully didn't give her a hard campaign this year in order to target some of these big international prizes. So 
It's an interesting team. And what I found quite interesting this morning is there was actually a lead horse leading um, the quartet from Aidan O'Brien's yard. That's not something I think I've ever seen out here in Hong Kong before. Um, some of them were getting a little bit warm, but um, nothing out of the ordinary that you wouldn't expect. And I'm sure they'll um, acclimatise as the week goes on. Yeah, and we spoke to Pauline Chabu before the weekend about Horizon Dore. And we spoke to Vincent Ho about Golden 60 last Thursday as well. Uh, to what extent is is the meeting revolving around Golden 68 years old now, twice a winner of this, once defeated in it, um, the most prolific horse ever really in, in Hong Kong and whose profile does somewhat extend beyond the confines of, of that very successful racing jurisdiction. What's the, what's the local feeling towards this horse now? Yeah, I think, you know, he's just a star. Everyone knows exactly what he's capable of. And I think probably there was a feeling of, of slight vulnerability and doubt surrounding him at stages last year. Of course, he was beaten in the Hong Kong Mile last year by California Spangle, um, but then roared back to form afterwards. Um, let's not forget a, a mighty horse in Romantic Warrior as well, who's coming back from his Cox Plate voyage, um, an exceptional international star that horse is. I think he's going to be really interesting to watch to see if he can um, build on that victory and replicate what he did in the Hong Kong Cup last year, which was an exceptional performance. But as I mentioned earlier, it's probably going to be a, a more difficult contest this year. But um, yeah, Japan are also sending a very big team. You've got to take them incredibly seriously whenever they come over. Um, but I think Hong, Hong Kong racing has been about Golden 60 for such a long time now. We had a superstar miler before him in Beauty Generation. Um, and he's a unique horse because he has so much character and so much charisma. And you see him out on track very early in the mornings and it's not difficult to pick him out. Of course, he hasn't been seen for a while and this is going to be, I think, his third last run. Um so it's really, we're lucky that we're getting another chance to see an exceptional horse and a horse who has got a legion of fans over here due to his, his incredible record, his racing style, his dominance and his spirit. All right. Thanks to Maddie. Thanks to all my guests today. Jane is still with me. Jane, before you go, just a, a point on the disqualification, the belated disqualification of Triple Crown winner Justify from the 2018 Santa Anita Derby. Uh, just explain what's happened here and what the kind of wider implications are or were at the time. Yes, yeah, so it's five years. It's over five years since Justify beat Bolt Doro in a scintillating renewal of the Santa Anita Derby. Post-race, he tested positive for scopolamine, uh, scopolamine was on a list of substances that when found in a horse's system requires them to be disqualified. But it later transpired, transpired that he would not be disqualified because the positive test result was because of contamination li linked to Jimson weed. Now, there was there's a couple of angles to this because the story didn't break until it was in the New York Times, 17 months after the Santa Anita Derby. And that's when Mike Roos, uh, owner of Bolt Doro, and his attorney, uh, Daryl Vienna, th then they got to work. And there's actually a very good piece in today's TDN for anybody who doesn't understand it in the American part. 
about answering the questions that you might have in your head. So one of the questions I had in my head was about the Kentucky Derby, because this was the first group one that Justify won. And essentially winning the Santa Anita Derby made him eligible to run in the Kentucky Derby. So had he been disqualified from the Santa Anita Derby, he wouldn't have been eligible to run at Churchill Downs. And fast forward on, the process has dragged on for four and a half years. And if not for that New York Times report, you wonder, would it have ever come to light? And it tells, it doesn't really tell its own story, but basically have had California um, followed their own rules, the horse would have been disqualified. And I just wonder going forward, if there's any lessons to be learned, Nick, if a board or if a horse tested positive for an, a points earning race or for a qualifying race for the Kentucky Derby or indeed any race of that ilk, should it not come to light before the race is run? Because well, in hindsight, there's very little you can do. You'd like you'd like to think under HISA and the new way of uh, harmonized regulation in the United States that a situation like this wouldn't be able to happen again. But given how um, complex and Byzantine the, the legal process often is when it comes to contesting these cases, uh, you wouldn't like to to bet your life on it. But it, it's, a, it's a very um, interesting sliding doors moment, this, isn't it? Because if that horse's positive had led to disqualification in more timely fashion, then you're quite right. He wouldn't have run in the Kentucky Derby. He wouldn't be a triple crown winner, and he wouldn't have had the impact, the extraordinary impact that he's had uh, now now at stud. So it, uh, it certainly provides food for thought. Um, have you got some food for thought for us for, for today? Well, I wanted to talk about the gambling regulation bill. Well, do that. Yeah. Actually, I don't want to, but I think it's pertinent. Um, so the gambling regulation bill has been to the forefront of all of our minds over here. It's it's such a an important piece of legislation. Nobody in racing denies that it needs to to come in. And um, as we're going to call it, the DRAI, the Gambling Regulation Authority of Ireland, it proposes uh, licensing and regulation of betting gaming and certain lotteries uh, in this country. And that needs to happen because our current legislation uh, does look a bit outdated. But from a racing perspective, we have a number of uh, concerns and the concerns usually they are surrounding advertising and the visual media services um, ele electronic means of communication and uh, the maximum relevant payment or maximum uh, payment of winnings uh, to punters now I think this is uh, a major news story but it was only really published in the Daily Mail and the Sunday Independent yesterday is that the Maltese government have uh, launched an uh, an objection. They say the Maltese government have claimed that their this piece of legislation could inadvertently lead to an increase in black market betting, because the government in Valletta said propose the proposed Irish legislation could prevent certain games being played in this country, so could push people towards unregulated models of gambling. The Maltese government also claimed that proposals to allow Ireland's new gambling regulator to restrict times when people can bet may, dis may have a disproportionate effect without further um, empirical evidence, research or justification. It goes on to say, that the piece in the Sunday Independent goes on to say that the Department of Justice 
entered into a consultation process earlier this year after receiving requests from the European Commission and Malta. But this process has since ended without the government being asked to make any changes to the bill. But, said Maltese government, has also questioned the justifications for the bill's proposed limits. And they also complained about the proposed gambling advertising restrictions and asked why the national lottery ads do not come under the proposed laws. So the timeline, just for anybody who's listening and isn't familiar with this, the timeline is this piece of legislation is currently in its fourth of five stages. So it's currently uh, to be dis- debated before Dáil Éireann. Once in the fifth and final stage and the Dáil is completed, the bill will move to the Shannad for enactment. The, currently, the timeline we're looking at is uh, probably to be finalised around the second quarter of 2024. So this is obviously, uh, it's been covered in bits and pieces, but we haven't really been getting progress reports on it. And I do think the Maltese objection is a significant stumbling block for Minister Brown and his bill. She says, with barely concealed glee, and uh, clearly Ireland's membership, continuing membership of the European Union, has been somewhat helpful to those within racing and elsewhere looking to derail this particular uh, bill or indeed parts of it. Do you have a tip for me? It's probably worth saying, Nick, that we're not trying to derail the establishment of the Gambling Regulation Authority of Ireland, but it's just there is elements of the bill that are causing grave concern in this country, not only in horse racing, but in other sports. We don't want to push people towards unregulated black market betting where it seems this this bill may may make make an attract make it an attractive option. And to answer your next question, do I have a tip for today? I actually don't, because I have no interest in Wolverhampton and every other race meeting is called off. So I could make something up, but I don't really want to. Excellent. Jane, thank you very much for your company. As always, that was Monday, December the 4th. We will see you once again tomorrow. No bet. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.